Welcome to the Kalanta cast. My older brother, head of executive legal, role model, superstar in general, Jahan Kalanta. Welcome to the Kalanta cast. Thank you so much for having me. How are you, brother Bear? It's good. I'm good. I'm good. 2.30 on a Tuesday, lockdown, hence why we can't really do this in person. But nevertheless, good to have you on. How's, how's lockdown treating you? Yeah, it's good. It's an interesting time, isn't it? Um, there's just so much stuff going on for so many people. And, um, you know, I'm blessed that I'm mm. a service. I still have my life seems, still seems pretty normal. I still go to the office. I'm still doing all of the stuff that I need to get done. So I'm, I'm very lucky. Great. Lovely to hear. Lovely to hear. So, of course, I've always grown up with you around, so I know you quite well, but really for my audience, if you could kind of run us through the, the adolescence, what brought us to this current Jahan Kalanta with the curly moustache? Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a really tough question. Had, and you asked me, how, did, how do you become you? Um, all right. Mm. So um, uh, I guess I am your older brother by a significant margin. So um, I'm, I think, six, 15 years older than you. I'm 15 years older than you. Um, 16, so 16, God. So um, our, uh, my, we have the same father, but we have different mothers. Yes. And um, my, uh, we, yeah, so you're my younger brother. We have two younger sisters. Um, I was always a bit of a nerd in school. I've always enjoyed reading. Um, I've always enjoyed debating discussions, that kind of stuff. It's always been something I'm pretty good at and I'm pretty uncoordinated with my hands. I'm actually not particularly bright at like things with, you know, where you have to visualize stuff in your, with, with yeah. your mind and hand. I can't do that. So I'm really bad at that. So I, um, I, decided um, I went to high school and then I decided I would go to university and back then it was all the rage to go into banking because everyone and their dog was making like you'd hear stories of like 19 year olds making three four million dollars in bonuses at, at, in banking so I thought oh that sounds like nice easy work I'll go do that um, and I, um, I so I started my undergraduate degree at Sydney Uni and in my final year um, the GFC happened so all of a sudden all of these uh. opportunities um, that used to exist kind of went uh, by the wayside. So I, I took a job at a bank and I was, mm. um, I just hated it. It just was not for me. It was the most depressing job. It was doing stuff I wasn't good at and that I did not care about. So I thought I'll go reskill and I'll do something, you know, else. And um, I went and got my JD, which is the Juris Doctor. So that's the Masters of Law. So I went to law quite late in life. And as I went to law, I worked for a few bigger law firms. I hated that. And eventually I sort of found the only place I was really happy being a lawyer was a courtroom. And so I specialized in advocacy. I became something called a barrister. Those are the lawyers that go to court. I did that for about four, four years. And then after that, I decided, well, you know what? I want to try running a business. And I set up my law firm. So that's, I guess, a quick snapshot of the story till now. Mm. And, and I think one thing I've obviously had the privilege of, even though I was quite young, seeing that progression and it's been pretty amazing and kind of become this lawyer, um, public speaker and a, a really a culmination of many things. But going back to that Jahan that just kind of finished banking and decided that it wasn't for him, and that's quite a big, big jump going from, a pretty established career, having a pretty strong job and then deciding, you know what, this isn't for me and going to law. And I feel like someone like me 
I, I kind of see, okay, I'm about to go into uni. I've, I've found a job that I love, but I'm about to go into uni. And I feel like there's a lot riding on that decision. So I guess how was, how was that transition from going, you know what, I don't like this and I'm going to go do law. How, how was that transition for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, look, for me, it, it really became, uh, I'm, we were raised, you and I, um, in a family which was really focused on academic success, one, and two, hard work. Like those are two values mm. that have been really instilled in us. And um, it was really, if I had found it even one or 2% tolerable, I probably would have stayed in it and stuck with it. It was just, it was so not engaging with me. I was just so disconnected from my job and so disconnected from that, that I thought this is, you can't just do this for the rest of your life. So it was, it was, I gave it a try. I gave it a couple of years, but it just wasn't resonating with me. So um, I think it's really important mostly to give things a try. Um, Every job sucks when you do it for the first time, like every job, no matter how great that job is, there's going to be parts of it that suck. And two, when you're learning how to do anything, it's really hard. Like, I think that's the other thing that um, my generation sort of had an advantage over your generation in that there's now an expectation at such a young age that you're such a master of so many domains because the world keeps shifting and changing. That was really never expected of me and my generation. Like it was, it was never expected that you, mm. all right, you've got a you at 18, you've got to know how to brand yourself on social media. You need to have like a following. You need to like, it was none of that. It was, it was pretty hands off. And that was, I think a real blessing now that I look at it, that I never had to learn those skills until later in life. Mm. Yeah, and, and eventually you kind of found that niche. But even even in even once you did kind of get a, get into those big law firms, it still wasn't something really for you. So, I guess how how's that how's that transition to become your own business, running your own business, really been for you? Yeah, so it, I think it's got something to look. I I have always wanted to do things my way. That's just I'm just one of those people that I want things to be done my way, and I think that. Um, my way is the right way, uh, which is not always a good attitude to have. But in in those established firms, in those established places, there's a way of doing things. And if it's not your way, you just have to do it. Whereas I thought, you know what, there's got to be something to be said for people who are trying things in a different way, who are going to go and attempt things in a different strategy, use a different mindset. And so it was about kind of having a leap of faith, you know, looking around, seeing mm. okay, there was this opportunity in the market. So when we first started executive legal, all I knew how to do was criminal law, but there was one thing we were very good at. I was very good at, which was kids caught at music festivals with small amounts of drugs, avoiding their first conviction. That was something I was really, really good at. And I had a real reputation for. And so I, when I opened, I thought that's going to be the market that I target. I'm just going to be that lawyer for those people. And I did a really good job for those people for a number of years. And through that, other opportunities and things came up. But I knew that this one thing I'm really good at. And I guess it was sort of having that mindset that, well, you know what? I'm going to just work on that. And from that, other opportunities will flow. And they have. You've kind of built this brand around you kind of being that little guy lawyer. Uh, being that little guy lawyer, what does that mean to you? And I, I guess you've kind of made a name around it and you've really st stood out because of it. Yeah. I, I Look, the little guy lawyer phrase, I don't know where it came from, but it really stuck with me. And 
it's a, I mean, I teach as well. One of the things I do is I, I, I lecture at the university. Um, you know, every, every semester I do one or two subjects where I lecture. But one of the things that I think is so important for young lawyers and just generally young citizens to understand, and there's no right answer to this, is what is the point of power? Like, that's a question that's really important that if you understand how you connect with that, you're going to be able to really have a different perspective on the world. So what I mean by that is, is the purpose of power, and I'm sure there's lots of, I'm, I'm giving you a black and a white example, I'm sure there's a lot of gray, but is it one, the purpose of power is to help the strong achieve greatness and carry us all along with them. And so what we need to do is, if, if you if you think that's the point of power, you have to acquire power, you have to acquire influence, you have to create this energy behind you to move forward. Or the other one is the point of power to make sure that we hold accountable and protect the weakest in our society. And if that means that the people at the very top have to suffer a bit for it, so be it. And there's no right answer. In my experience, people will always say, no, it's about protecting the little person when that's not how they feel in their hearts. I think it's probably a 30-70 split really, between those two sort of views on power. But that's something you have to understand for yourself. For me, the purpose of a judicial system, the purpose of having this idea of the justice being blind is that it shouldn't simply be, we rock up, I empty my pockets on the left side of the scale, you empty your pockets on the right, and whoever's got more money wins. It shouldn't be that. It should be the fact that people who are low income, people who are not native to Australia or, or, or are Im immigrants here, people with mental health issues, they should get the same access and the same voice that the person who has all the money has. And that's something that really resonates with me because I want to make sure that we, we build a world where just because you are born with some disadvantages, you are still entitled to the same rights, access and resources as everyone else. So because that resonated with me and because I'm still somewhat of a bleeding heart person, um, you just kind of attract those people into your sphere. And, and I, I do a lot of reduced fee. I do a lot of pro bono. I do a lot of refugee work because I think it's important. I think it's really important to help those people. Mm. And ultimately, I think that's something very authentic to you, something that you've really built your brand on very like authenticity. Um, whether it be that curly mustache or uh, I guess building a brand where it's very true to you. And I think a lot of people are kind of projecting this image of them out. That's not them. Um, yeah. Whereas you, it's, it's, it's not that you, it's very much you, your image is very much what you see is what you get. Um, and I think a lot of people get caught, caught out because they've kind of seen how their brand isn't them and they're trying to hide their personality with social media and you've always been a very big advocate of mental health. So I guess once someone is caught in that image where they've always been that smart person, they've always had an image that they've had to follow, what are the steps to kind of get out of that in your eyes? Yeah, that's that's a really tough... And look, the pressure that, that people are under to, to, to maintain a perfect facade is just extraordinary. It's extraordinary The the, like you don't even have to go far, you know, you'll have someone who's like doing something amazing on social media, like, you know, some gymnast doing an amazing routine. They're like, Oh, why didn't you do an extra somersault? Or like, Oh, Oh, you're looking a bit tubby there. Like it's so like unnecessary. And, and it's about like this, the expectation of perfection on people. And I opted out of that a long time ago. Um, I am who I am. And it's really hard to live an inauthentic life. 
in my opinion. It's just, it's really hard. It's stressful and depressing. And from time to time, that means you have to be honest with people and say like, you know, if you, if you check my post history, it's not all like, you know, sunshine and butterflies. It usually is because I generally have a positive mindset, but from time to time, I'll be like, this is bullshit. I can't believe this has happened. This is so unfair. This is not right. Um, because you just get frustrated and you're a human being. And I think that that authenticity resonates with people. Um, people may very well like, or, you know, um, give a thumbs up to the image that's perfect, but what will transform their life? What will really stay with them is when you speak to them honestly and you show them that I'm a human being and I'm going through challenges and I'm struggling and it's perfectly normal to struggle. That's, I think what sits with people. It sits with less people, but with the right people, it will, it gives them the, the message they need to hear. Hmm. And I think that, that that's something that we miss because by being that authentic person, and even if you do have a blunder, if there is something that doesn't, that sticks out like a sore thumb, it's something actually that makes you unique and special in this world. And you've always been very open about your mental health and, and preached the importance of mental health. So I'd really like to talk about that, um, especially with my generation. Like we're seeing so many people hide what they're truly kind of truly, truly thinking and truly can't exp express themselves. So w with that mental health, that you, you frequently talk about your anxiety. Can we go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, I think that the most important lesson that I have learned about mental health is that feelings, if they, they can be managed and they can be mentioned, i.e. you can talk about them and you can, to an extent, control them. They do not need to control you. That's a really big lesson. And if somebody learns that it will transform the way that they live their life. Now, does that mean that you will live a life with no negativity, no setbacks? Of course not. That's not how life is. Life is fun. The best life that you can imagine is still incredibly hard. So take, you know, take the most wealthy, powerful person and deprive them of food for nine days and see how they are. You know what I mean? The, fundamentally being a human being, just existing on this planet is hard. It really is. So um, everyone you meet is struggling, no matter how good they look on the outside, they're struggling in some way with something. So I've never been, I, I've never been shy about my anxiety. I'm open that I'm a fairly anxious and neurotic person. So one of the things that, and, and the second, I guess, mind shift for me has been, I used to think I was good at my job because I was anxious. Now I'm realizing, no, I was good at my job despite the fact that I was anxious. So when you're anxious or when you've got those ruminating thoughts, you're always thinking, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could we, so, you know, and and that will often stop you from taking good action. So for example, you might be like, okay, well, let's start a business. We go, okay, well, I don't have cash flow. I'm not going to get marketing. There's no way I'll be able to handle the accounts. I won't be able to get staff. Nobody really wants to start a business in this climate. I don't know what I'm doing around starting business. And all of a sudden you've created like 95 objections that will stop you from doing the thing that you should do. Now that's a challenge for people who are highly strong like me. Other people have the opposite challenge. They don't get in their own way. And sometimes they should, because otherwise you're going to end up on a bloopers reel on, you know, American Idol, because nobody, you know, you, you've got to, to self-confidence is important, but self-awareness is even more important. It's that balancing act. So I think people either speak themselves far too kindly or far too negatively. Very rarely do you meet people who have just the right amount of self-talk. 
which which it should be kind. The default should it, it should be kind. So for example, if you're starting a business, it should be like, hey, this will probably work, but have you thought about rather than it won't work, you suck, you're an idiot, businesses suck, you're gonna die, kill yourself. Mm. <laughs> and it's very easy to catastrophize. Yeah, especially I find that with myself, like in my own head, when I don't speak about it and I let it materialize and grow in my own head, it just becomes this ridiculous thought. So for you, when it did, when it comes to getting away from, okay, how do I, how this has happened or how do I stop this from happening to, okay, now I should think about this. How, how did you flip that mindset? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I think I'm pretty sure this is a Jordan Peterson technique. I think, but it's certainly a technique that was not developed by me, but I've been very helpful. It's what is the minimum meaning that I can give to an incident that is going to allow me the best outcome? So I'll give you an example. Mm. If you fail an exam at university, right? There is probably a thousand reasons that happened. One of the catastrophes that you can say is, well, I'm an idiot, and if I'm an idiot and I failed my exam, then I shouldn't be in university. So I should just give up on university altogether. If I'm, I shouldn't even try at work. I'm a loser. Now that's a, that's a, that's a, that's unfortunately a valid meaning you can derive from the failure of an exam. Another value if another meaning you can drive a smaller meaning is for this exam on this day, I did not prepare correctly. I did not do a, B and C and Next time I face a challenge like this one, I will do A, B, C, and D. I, 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 I can do better and I should do better, but I understand why I didn't do this, this, and that. So you give it the smallest meaning you can that allows you to use the situation in a positive way. That's what I always try to do. So for example, if I lose a case, it could be, I can go in there and go, well, I'm just a bad lawyer. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I fluked it up till here. I'm a loser. My client would have been better off representing themselves. Or I can say, okay, I lost this case because this particular argument that won the case was not something that I thought about. I should have probably thought about it doing this, this, and this, and going forward, I'll use this strategy. Cause that, mm. that gives you look, the, the reality is that a lot of people base their entire life on the stuff they've done in the past. I just base my life on my future. Like the future is unlimited potential. There's all this really cool stuff that could do. even stuff that this, the idea of you and I chatting like this via video link when I was your age was impossible. It, there was no technology for it. There was no power of my own. This technology has been created and we get to have these really powerful, meaningful conversations. So um, I really, I, I look to the future with hope because I think that the best version of me is still out there and the best version of me combined with the best version of the world who knows what great stuff we can do gold i think i think there's a there's a lot of gold in so far what we've said and um I'll, I'll, from now on, i kind of want to talk about something we talked about and that's being present um again a, a lot of the a lot of the thoughts in this podcast a, a lot of the thoughts in my head that i'm exploring and hopefully others see value in that so when I look at you, I see someone that is quite, quite present. And I think um, whenever, whatever moment you're in, you're allowed to put 100% of that mo of, of your energy into that moment. So when it comes to being present, are there any strategies you employ to, to get into that mindset? Yes. Firstly, it's really hard to be present. It's 
we live perpetually thinking either about the future or worrying about the future, um, thinking about the past. So a, a lot of mindfulness. Um, I've done a lot of meditation, breathing exercises, stuff that's generally considered quite woo-woo. Um, I see a lot of value in, um, you know, journaling, taking stock of how I feel and think. Um, as a rule, what I try to do is if I'm not going to commit to something 100%, I'm not going to do it. So um, I, I will say no a lot to a lot of stuff because I don't think I can do it properly. I have found the difficulties in my life tend to arise when I'm trying to do too much. Um, and, I, and I think that that's the, the, the reality is because technology and um, all this stuff has come out, we can do more. Like, you know, from my phone, I can run my business, really, if I had to. If, if everything else went down, I could call the clients. I could access the case files. I can run the financials. I can, I can pay invoices. I can do all this stuff. So we think that because the technology has gotten to that stage, our brains can work at that stage. And I don't think they can. Like, there is a limit to what you can do in a day, and particularly if you're going to do it properly. So I, I try really hard to be present in the moment. I, um, I, I make it a point that... If I give my time to something, I'm not going to regret it at the end of the day. I really don't like to look back at the end of the day and go, wow, I really wasted, I wasted four hours doing something pointless. Like I wasn't, I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't get value out of it. Um, and sometimes there's stuff that you have to do that you don't want to do, but being present makes it more tolerable. And you mentioned kind of by being in the moment, you, the stuff is more to tolerable. Uh, how, how do you kind of structure your day to ensure that everything that you're doing is progressing you further to that person that you can be in the future. Keep in mind, I fail as often or not, if, if not more than, than, than I, uh, than I succeed. But generally speaking, I know that there's a couple of key rituals that if I engage in, they move my life forward in a positive way. So for example, if I meditate, if I exercise, if I, um, if I meditate and exercise, if I work on a, a meaningful project, something maybe even outside of work, if I do those three things, that day is generally a big tick. And so I try to ensure that at the minimum, I do those sort of rituals because they, they show me that my life's got a direction moving forward. And it's funny because what you, what you think about your thoughts become things. So like, um, I've spent so much, I, I used to think that I would sit in my office and be stressed out. And that was what would bring the work in from the rest of the universe. That's not how it is. The, the, it's the, it's those rituals. And when I was in the present moment, that the biggest opportunities in my career have come along. They've been things where they, they just, it was trying a bunch of stuff and then boom, this one thing worked, it connected, it was it worked. And so I think it's, it's, uh, it's about having, I guess, those rituals that, that to you show you, Hey, I'm moving in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Golf. <laughs> and you, you mentioned that you, you know, that the better person of you is still out in the future uh, and you haven't reached that ultimate Jahan yet. Um, and I guess with me going through, I, not just me, but a lot of people my age still going through uni, there's still a lot of skills that I guess maybe school doesn't teach you to get to that point. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is to get to that point that to better yourself and honestly maximize what you can bring to this world, what do you think that the skills would be 
that often we don't talk about would get us to that better place. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I, I, know, I know what you're saying. So if I was back in my teenage years and I could focus on one thing um, or two things, the thing that you and your tribe would benefit the most from is resilience and adaptability. Those are the two things. Um, if you want to be a good communicator, I, I think also empathy. Empathy is a really powerful one as well. But not everyone needs to be a good communicator, but everyone on this earth needs to be resilient. And what I mean by resilient is um, if you if life knocks you down, you need to know you can get back up. You need to know that it's okay to be knocked down by life as long as you get up eventually. And you need to know that the problems in your life, the setbacks, every bad thing that's happened to you, you've overcome. And simultaneously, every great thing that's happened to you, you've also gotten over it. So it, it's just understanding that you can deal with life's knocks. And adaptability is... The world is changing every single day in hugely different ways. Being able to see the opportunity in those changes and being able to leverage your unique skills to make the most out of that. If, if you, if, I've never met anyone successful who was not extremely resilient and extremely adaptable. Um, and that's across any discipline. I've just, it, it's, it's, I've met people who have failed, who, who were both resilient and adaptable because you need luck as well. There's a third element that no one talks about, which is luck. Um, sometimes you just get lucky in life. Um, but resilience and adaptability is to me what will give young people the edge. Because generally the older you get, like me, even now I'm starting to find myself becoming more and more set in my ways and less and less adaptable. And I talk about this actively all the time. So if I am aware of this and I still have a blind spot, it's just the, the value that young people have is that they see the world differently. They're filled with this hope, this idea, this creativity, and that's awesome. Great. Wonderful. And a bit of a change of pace here, back, back to a bit of you. A lot of people know this, but you, you did a TED talk. So how did that opportunity end up coming around and getting on the big stage at TEDx Sydney? Um. That, that was a, that was a, that was a, in 2018. So look, I was at the office one day and I was having my lunch and there was a, an email that went out. I, I love Ted. I love watching those videos. I, I think that um, I, I really like seeing human beings sharing the, 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 the messages that have helped shape them. Um, and that's what a Ted talk really is. It's like this powerful message in like 10 minutes or 20 minutes or, you know, longer. So, because if they did it, I can do it. That's the logic. That's the link that, that they can do it, then I can do it. So um, I, I saw it and I was like, well, I have, there's nothing I know really well. I don't know anything that much. And I was like, well, I looked at my calendar and I'd seen that I'd done like 30 guilty pleas in like the last two days or well, two weeks. And I was like, okay, well, guilty pleas are fundamentally you show up, you say you're sorry. So what does that look like? And from that, I sort of came up with a short pitch, pitched it, um, made a little video. They invited me to the pitch night. At the pitch night, it went really well. And I was invited to speak at the main stage where I got to give my TEDx talk, which was pretty cool. And, and what's that feeling like in front of seven of the, how, how many people were in the audience at that time? Half-ish. Well, to be perfectly honest, it was incredibly intimidating um, because the, the TEDx people are my tribe. Like they're the people that, you know, they're, they're people who are artists and thinkers and people who I really respect. My family, you were there. So it's people that I love and respect are there. So it's super, uh, to me, that was intimidating because I'm talking to people who 
I respect and like me. Most of the time, the reality is most of society, it's irrelevant what they think of you. They're not going to... Uh, anyone here that's listening to this, 90% of people won't like them. That's just the way people are wired. There are people, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but these people, I think generally we see the world in the same lens. So it was very intimidating, but it it went really well. It went off without a hitch, which was great. And it was like, it it showed me that, Hey, um, if you want something, you just have to go out there and get it. And you just have to like really want it, hunt it, get it. You eventually got out on that big stage and, what's it like being in front of six and a half thousand people and they're all just staring at you waiting for you to speak to them? It's, I took great comfort in that I had practiced it so many times that I could do it upside down underwater. And I took great comfort in the fact that um, I believed then. And I believe now that the stuff that we talk about discussions like this are important and they, they can transform people's lives. That's why I have them. Um, so I, I, it was, it was scary, but it was so exciting. And then afterwards, the, you know, it's, it's not the big stuff that really stays with you. It's the little stuff. It's the, you know, it's the occasional person on Insta who goes, Hey, I had a fight with my like boyfriend and I said, the, I used the formula and it really helped or, Hey, you know, um, I saw you at TEDx and I hadn't talked to my dad for a couple of years and we used it to bridge that gap. It's those ones. Wow. Those, those, are the, those are the reasons you do what you do so that you can hopefully affect people in a positive way. Wonderful. And last question, just to kind of wrap us up. If you were about to enter uni uh, or just left high school, wh- where do you go? Where would you go from here with the experience that you've developed since? Okay. You've got to pick a strategy in life that works to your strengths. So you must be, so that's what a part of adaptability. You must pick a strategy that suits you, the person you are, the way that you behave. And you've got to learn that resilience is absolutely a thing. And that unfortunately high school, um, high school and primary school, you're very sheltered. You're given huge inflations in grade The you know, the people the whole way through, there are going to be people vastly worse and vastly better than you at everything at university because it's your first microcosm of society so first things first you you deal with that you deal with the fact that you're going to be there with true genius that you will never be able to live up to no matter what you do and you're going to be okay with that and you're going to be there with people who are um who are just from different worlds you've got to get used to it so and the cool thing about being at uni is you get that time to develop your identity and, and who you are so you've got to pick a strategy that works for you and what i mean by that is i have known since pretty early in life that I am interested in people and people who are interested in people tend to be liked. So I have focused on being a likable enough person. And I do that by um, being polite. I do that by respecting other people. I do that by listening intently when people speak. And I do that by being funny and trying to see the humor in situations. And that, that strategy, when I went to uni, I was like, okay, well, how do I get really good at that? How do I use that? Like, how would you use that being likable to help you with say your statistics assignment. Well, the only logical link between that is the teacher. So what I would do is when I didn't understand something, I would go to my lecture hours and I'd say, hi, professor, such and such. My name's Jahan. I really am trying, but this is so outside of my understanding. Can you please help me? And if you, the good thing about university and the good thing about life in general, honestly, until you're probably 30, 
people want to help you. Like people go, if you're a young person, you're trying, people go, yes, cool, awesome. Let's invest in that person. Let's let's give them a chance. So you 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 that was a good strategy for me that if I didn't get it straight away, I would use the fact that I was likable to, to, to sort of move towards that. And also learning, learning that that strategy won't work in all the times. I have this lecturer, I'll never forget. I was in my second year of uni. She taught what was probably the most basic workplace management systems course. She was just awful. She was just an awful, angry person. She just had no joy in her life. There was nothing you could do to make this person like you. And at the time I was thinking there's something wrong with me. No, if you don't smile for an, like if, if you give lectures for a semester and you've never smiled, you've never laughed, you've never said anything above a monotone or without cruelty in your voice, there's something wrong with you. So it's also learning your strategy won't always work. You won't always be able to get away with it. You won't always be able to utilize it. So um, to, to me, that's really important. Figure out what you want to do in life. Have an image of yourself and figure out how you can, sort of get there and for me it's always been people because i'm good with people i think okay how do i connect with the right people to help me achieve what i want to achieve and how do i add value into their world well it's worked out well so far and i've thoroughly enjoyed this i know you've got to run off eventually but thank you so much for your time jahan i love you i love hopefully we can have a pretty cool moments like this more often Congratulations on launching this podcast. I hope it goes very, I hope it goes viral and um, good on you for helping young people. Like, like it's, you're doing a good thing. That's a plan. Well, we'll see you soon. Thank you guys for listening and on to the next, till next time. Cheers.